0: pastor jeremy said a few minutes ago it is great to see you and to be with you and and i want to extend a warm greeting to all of you who are watching online as well if you brought your bible with you and i hope you did i'm going to invite you to turn with me the book of philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 12 we're going to pick it up right where pastor jeremy finished this last sunday Two Sunday nights ago, Chris and I were watching a recording of a worship service of a a church just like ours was starting to meet together for the first time. And the pastor, as he stood up before the congregation, was so excited and so enthusiastic. He says, you don't know how hard it is to preach to a, a room full of empty pews. And we could see how the deacons had carefully taped off every other row of the sanctuary so they could maintain proper social distancing, even as they gathered to make much of Jesus. And so far, so good, right? Uh, But then the pastor, in all of his excitement for at least a few moments, forgot all about the pandemic, and excitedly said, now could you just take a moment, and turn around, and shake the hands of the people around you. Thank them for coming. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to do that, of course, although I know some of you wish we could, Uh, There are certain policies and procedures that we have to follow to prevent the spread of this disease. Uh, This hasn't been easy. I I know some families have liked the extra time they've had together. But all the changes and the adjustments we've had to make due to the pandemic have been kind of tough and and in recent weeks the adjustments have went far beyond the pandemic as pastor prayed uh, there's there's political strife there's charges of racism there's violent riots and right now our country is facing multiple challenges that that seem to get all tangled up together to one degree or another and and we see the frustration we see the hurt we see the anger and even violence I don't know if you heard about it, but just this past Tuesday in Davenport, a 22-year-old woman had stopped at a protest on her way from work. And she was in a Walmart parking lot as people were protesting police violence. And, And after a little while, she started to feel uncomfortable, thought she should go. And she didn't even make it back to her vehicle. She was murdered, shot in the back by those who were there to protest violence. Perhaps like never before, we're being reminded just how much we personally need Jesus as well as how much our nation needs him. And and the awesome thing is, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been uniquely called and equipped to bring his message of hope to a world that's in desperate need of healing. So here's a big idea for today's message. As God works in us and we respond with obedience, we bring Him great pleasure by shining as lights in the midst of a dark world. I think most all of us would agree that there's a lot of darkness in the world today, but just how are we as followers of Christ to be shining as lights? With the Lord's help, we're going to answer that question, at least in part, as we take a prayerful and careful look at today's passage and in the process get a better understanding of what I'm going to refer to as God's love language and since we love and value and esteem and honor our Jesus above all other things you and I want to live the kind of life that brings Him great pleasure and I invite those of you who are able to stand with me as I read now from this passage Philippians 2 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure you notice the first word of this passage is, therefore. And whenever you read that word, therefore, in the word of God, it's kind of like shorthand for based on everything else that came just before this. And as Pastor Jeremy showed us last Sunday... This was a call for the Philippians to live in unity with Christ-like humility under Jesus, the Lord. So this, therefore, means to do everything else we're going to be reading about this morning. Because Jesus is Lord, and because Jesus wants you and I to live together in unity. But before we get into all that, there's one other thing I want to mention before we we get into the meat of the text. and, And that's how... Paul addresses the believers in this letter. I I really appreciate this. He refers to them as my beloved. The apostle wasn't just reminding these followers of Jesus Christ that, that God loves them, although he certainly does, and he wants us to remind each other of that truth from time to time. Even more than that, Paul was in this moment declaring his personal love for the men and women and the young people who were a part of that church family. And, beloved, I'm blessed to be able to address you in the same manner today. You know, each time Pastor Jeremy or I stand up here teaching you from the Word of God, it's in part because we love Jesus. It's in part because we love and value and treasure His Word. But it's also in part, a great part, because of our love for you. And as your pastors, we're committed to your spiritual health and well-being. And part of that is because we want every one of you to be ready for the day of Christ that's mentioned later in this same passage. But back to God's love language. How does the Bible say that you and I are to live our lives in a way that results in God's pleasure? How are we who are going to Uh, be listening to this message, connect all the dots. Well, it's in part by by living out three specific truths that, Lord willing, we're going to look at between now and the end of our service. And and truth number one is this. God has called us to be servants, not spectators. God has called us to be servants. Uh, Middle of verse 12, as you have always Obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence," Paul writes. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." This is our memory verse. I'm guessing some of you might be a little bit troubled by this verse. For one thing, Uh, We don't like being told we must obey. And yet, if you're familiar with the Word of God, you already know that obedience is a huge and indispensable part about following Jesus. And yet, it's hard to nearly impossible for us as human beings to willingly and even joyfully obey as an act of our will without having and exercising the same kind of humility Jesus demonstrated Let's look back to verse 8 of the same chapter, and I'm going to show you what I mean. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, "...and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So the Bible says Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, and, and of course his obedience led him to the cross Where he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And during his ministry on earth, Jesus said the biggest part of how we as human beings demonstrate or communicate our love for him is through our obedience to his commands. You see, he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us who are in right relationship with him. And he's kind and gracious enough to have given that plan and purpose to us in writing so we can put it into practice, so that we can work it out. Again, that's truth number one. Jesus has not called you to be a spectator who watches others who are in the church live out their faith, but to be a servant who obeys his teaching. As you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now we get to the second difficult part of this week's memory verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And some of you here in church this morning or watching online might be wondering, Pastor, what does that mean? To work out your own salvation. I thought we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And you're absolutely right. We are. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. What I want you to notice, here in today's passage, the Bible doesn't say work for your own salvation. But rather work out your own salvation. Exercise it. It's kind of like those of you who had a a membership at dale howard before the pandemic started you would go there to do what to work out to to exercise your body and to strengthen it i sometimes use the, the amplified version of the bible to get a little better understanding of what the author was intending and we have that verse up here on the screen i think you're going to find it helpful Continue to work out your salvation, that is, cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. And church, I think that verse does a great job of describing the heart attitude as well as the actions of someone whose life is being lived in such a way as it brings pleasure to the Father. They can not only say they want to grow, they're actively pursuing spiritual maturity. The sad thing is, some people mistakenly think that the day they get saved is kind of like they're crossing the finish line. The day they turn from their sins and place their faith in the crucified and risen Christ. But that's not even close to being true. You see, the day you get saved is actually like the start of a race as God begins the marvelous and Christ-honoring process of conforming us to the image of His Son. I think some of you here needed to hear this, to read this. To be reminded that working out your salvation with fear and trembling means to use serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of His Son. You don't have to answer out loud, but I am going to ask you a question. Does this sound like a good description of how you are choosing to live your life on this side of eternity? Are you the same person when you're 50 miles or 100 miles or even 500 miles away from your church family as you are when you're here worshiping Jesus? You know, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. What you and I believe to be true about Jesus and our relationship with Him is going to be expressed in the way we behave. And again, God wants you and I to live our lives in a way that bring Him great pleasure. That's His love language. Before we go on from here, I, I am going to pause to ask you, some of you maybe know what it is that God wants you to let go of, but if, you, if you're not aware of anything, would you be willing to ask God if there was anything in your life that was offending him or discrediting the name of your Savior? Would you want the Holy Spirit to help you see that? I hope you'd say yes. And even more so, I hope that you will make this a topic of earnest prayer. That's truth number one. Truth number two, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are to be depending upon the Lord's strength and not our own. I love singing about that worship team. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now I'm, I'm not claiming to be a military expert, but I find it fascinating how nuclear power so radically changed how our Navy can operate throughout the world. You know, before nuclear power, uh, a submarine would have to resurface after just a few days. And now they can remain submerged for as long as they have food and other supplies on board, oftentimes months at a time. And they can go decades before they need to refuel. And, And yet that's nothing compared to God's strength and power and might compared to God a nuclear reactor is pretty much nothing as god has described in ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us god wants you and i to know that there are no limits to his power that he can do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine and verse 13 again says that power is at work within us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The problem is we sometimes make the mistake of thinking we're kind of like those nuclear-powered submarines and we can go for days and days and days before we resurface and get resupplied. And, and so we neglect to take in the nourishment we need every day from God's unchanging word. And, and we fail to spend time with him in prayer. And as a result, church, our our fuel tanks often run empty, sometimes well before we even know it. And then we start depending on our own strength rather than on his. And as a result, we find it increasingly more difficult to get from where we're at to where he intends for us to be. You know, there are not too many words in this verse, but they do teach us that our our loving and wise and sovereign God has given us as His children both the desire and the ability to do His will. So, friends, if you don't have the desire to live a life that is pleasing to God, it could be that you don't yet know Him, or if you do, That you've either, A, chosen not to listen to him, or B, not to believe him and obey him. And if that's the case, what would God have you to do? He'd have you repent. He would would want you to change the way you think about yourself and your sin and your relationship with him. Remember again, he's called you not to be a spectator, but to be a servant. Uh, I saw this explanation of repentance this week. It's not perfect, but I like it. I think it's helpful. A change of mind that leads to a change of thinking, that leads to a change of attitude, that leads to a change of feeling, that leads to a change of values, that leads to a change in the way you live. And when you abide in Jesus Christ and his life abides in you, God is going to work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Which brings us to truth number three. Truth number three. The lives of those who are living for God's pleasure are unmistakably different than the lives of those who don't yet know, love, and obey God the Son. So here in the final verses of the passage, we learn how different we are to be and become as a result of the life-transforming power of the gospel at work, in us, and through us. Verse 14, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, sometimes that sounds kind of easy, but in reality... You probably know it isn't. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know the Israelites had a problem, repeated problem with with grumbling. They'd complain about what God was doing or wasn't doing. Rather than trusting God and simply taking Him at His word, His people were quick to question Him and become critical of those He had chosen to lead. Do all things without grumbling. Next word is disputing. And disputing includes the idea of second-guessing or arguing. Some of us are pretty good at that. And as a result of their grumbling and complaining, the book of Exodus tells us God's people not only experienced some very grave consequences, they greatly damaged Both their testimony and the Lord's reputation. Consequences that Paul, of course, would rather we avoid. So he writes again to us as believers, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then he says, why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I think we've already established that our world right now is pretty crooked and twisted and dark. Most of us are probably well aware that Minneapolis resident George Floyd lost his life Monday, May 25th, while pinned to the ground by a police officer for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. And, And it seems ever since that video went public, our country has been beset with violence and conflict. I know there have been some times of peaceful protest, and I'm thankful for that, but it seems that most of what the media has been showing us, and perhaps rightfully so, have been scenes of rioting in major cities throughout the nation, as in some cases whole neighborhoods have been looted and burned to the ground, including parts of South Minneapolis, And as I watched all that unfold, I thought how ironic it is that some of those who were crying most loudly for justice were only hours later willing to gleefully destroy homes and businesses in their very own neighborhood. Stores and restaurants owned by men and women who, like them, not only had nothing to do with Mr. Floyd's death, but in fact were also upset, distressed, angered by how he died. So when we as Christians who've who've been taught by Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves, when we see the homes and businesses of other Americans go up in flames, how should we react? How should we respond to people who are frustrated and angry? One of the first scenes I remember seeing was the morning after the first riot. I don't know if these were believers or not, but there was a lot of people look like you and me showing up to clean up that neighborhood. They had their brooms and garbage cans, and that was kind of encouraging. But then I saw something even more powerful. As groups of Christians gathered throughout that city, getting down on their knees not to protest, But to prayer, pray. They were calling out to Jesus, the great physician, the only one who can heal our nation's wounds. And I've also seen pictures on Facebook of churches in the Twin Cities, some of which our friends attend, who have purchased and collected hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of groceries to take down into that very neighborhood that had just burned down is grocery stores. When we as followers of Jesus reach out to hurting people with the love of Christ, even to those who may be critical of our faith and our dependence upon Jesus, when, when we look at hurting people through the lens of compassion and kindness, you know what we're doing we're following God's example and and we're speaking His love language. We're graciously giving our fellow citizens what they need rather than what they might deserve. And the wonderful thing is in the process, when we do that, we partner with tens of thousands of other faithful Christians, not only here in our nation, but literally around the world, who together are building bridges of trust that are strong enough to bear the weight of truth. And in the process, they're living lives that Paul describes here as blameless and and innocent. They're shining together as bright lights in the midst of darkness. Which brings us to verse 16. Holding fast to, or as some of our versions say, holding forth the word of life. In other words, both firmly embracing and freely proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Middle of 16. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad. And rejoice with me. Paul knew that he was literally nearing the finish line of his life on this side of eternity. And he wanted those he had invested so much in, these believers at Philippi, to be ready for that day as well. That there would be mutual rejoicing. You know, on the day we stand before Christ, those of us who have followed him as Lord and Savior are going to have the fruit of our lives examined. And then we will be rewarded in proportion to our faithfulness. In other words, how well we have communicated to God in his love language. And that seems to be what Paul's describing here. As pastors, we can't always tell what the Lord is doing in your life, how he is at work in those we shepherd. But in the day of Christ, we're going to be able to see and rejoice in the fruit of those who've chosen to live their lives for the pleasure of our God. So are you among those who are going to join with other believers and those who have discipled them in mutual rejoicing? on the day of christ you will church if you have purposed in your heart to live for the pleasure of god let's pray father god i'm I'm glad to know that as you work in us and as we respond with obedience we bring you great pleasure by shining as lights in the midst of a dark world. And Lord, we're reminded in your word today that you have called us to live life on purpose for a purpose. We are your servants. And and Lord, we want our hearts to be in tune with your will that we gladly, joyfully, willingly obey you. And part of that means we not only say, Lord, that we want to grow, that we're also actively pursuing growth. We want to become more and more like your son. And and as we abide in Jesus and his love and life abide in us, we know, Lord, that you will work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And as a result, Father God, your work in our lives causes us to be unmistakably different. Not that people notice us and make much of us, but make much of you, the God of our salvation as we love and care for and seek to bless our neighbors. Help us look at our lives, Lord, as you desire with awe, inspired fear. Help us use serious caution and critical self-evaluation. We don't want to do anything, Lord, that's going to discredit your name, that's going to harm the expansion of your kingdom. So help us be daily dependent upon you and the work of your spirit in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We're humbled and grateful and excited about what you're yet to do. May we as a church with one voice stand shoulder to shoulder to contend as one person for the faith of your gospel.